Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? 
Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans that comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get liquid death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find liquid death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. Hi, welcome to Film Study. We're back for part two of the discussion of the offense against the Patriots in that win at New England. Nice 37-point effort. And Gabe Ferguson of the Situation Room is here to talk about it with me. Gabe, how you doing? Um, I'm, I'm great. Um, this was a this fun game to talk about the offense. And um, I th- like you said, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, um, at Gabe Fergie. Love to chat about the Ravens. Love um, chat about the Orioles. The season's coming to an end, but um, you know, there's, there's still a lot of talk about the Baltimore sports, and it's, it's exciting time to be a Baltimore sports fan. Yeah, great time to be an O's fan now. I'm really enjoying every at-bat watching the young players, Rutschman, Henderson, Stowers. I'll, I, I'll, I'll fast-forward through a lot of bats, frankly, for the Orioles right now. I don't need to see every Anthony Santander at-bat, even though he's, he's killing the ball right now. <laughs> I really still need to see every Rutschman, Stowers, or Henderson for what future portent uh, they may show. Yeah. Nice, nice home run right down the right field line in Boston tonight for Rutschman. Last night, Henderson absolutely teed <laughs> off the center field. Was that hit? Yeah, that was the the sound off the bat was was really just fun to hear. Like that that explosion of of the ball leaving leaving the bat, and I think it was like 111 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, him and Rutschman are are two you know extremely extremely talented players. Um, you know, Ravens are Ravens. The Orioles haven't had a prospect like that since Machado, um, and he's I think they're both you know in a similar vein of kind of the the level of of player that they're going to be at the MLB level. So it's exciting. Very, very excited for both players, too. Uh, okay, well, let's talk. get back and talk about the offensive line from that Ravens game because there's a lot to discuss, obviously. The, the first thing we have to get to is Patrick McCary and the untimely departure of him. He did play six plays in this game, uh, accumulated zero net points, so he wasn't really playing well before he left, gave up a pressure and a half, made three blocks. Uh, it, it wasn't, obviously, a great game. And then he stepped on Justice Hill's foot, I, I think the the word is that it's a non-high ankle yep. sprain. I love it when they specify it like <laughs> that. Uh, but they obviously really wanted to let us know he's going to be back quick. Of course, why does he need to be back quick when Gabe has already pronounced that Ronnie Stanley will be back for this next week? <laughs> um, well, if, if there is a week for Stanley to make his, his triumphant return, it, it would be in this week four game against you know one of the most feared pass rushers and one of, one of the best defensive fronts in the NFL. It would it would make a lot of sense, but you know I think at this point we it's clear that it's, we're on Ronnie Stanley's time, and when he feels ready, that he can come and play at at the level that he at, that he wants to be able to play at, which is you know all pro Ronnie Stanley. I'm sure that's where he wants to come. He doesn't want to come and be uncomfortable or in pain and and you know give up 15 pressures in his in his first week back. So um, I don't know where he's at, but you know. Makari, if he can play, I think that's probably maybe better than Falele. Um, but I think, you know, from what we saw over the first couple of weeks of Makari, 
Um, you know, Falele, he can, you know, fill in pretty much at the same level. And you might even be able to do a few better things in the run game if, if Falele's out there instead of, instead of Makari. So if, if Makari isn't, you know, 100%, I would say let him have an extra week and, and keep going with, the, with Daniel Falele out there. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's obviously what they'll do. I don't think McCary has any... We'll see. McCary is a absolutely gamer, and you never know if he's going to be back and playing around on one foot pretty much. Uh, but I think it, it does make sense. If there's if he, if, if McCary's playing at 80%, I certainly would prefer to just stay with Falele. Yeah. Make the adjustments that are necessary for it and, and, and make it work. Um, McCary... Yeah, he played two games that were above the replacement level, but they were about average games. The f- the first two were very fortunate to have a backup left tackle who could play at that le- that level. There's a whole bunch of left tackles in the league who have already been lost, and their replacements are playing nowhere near that level in aggregate. So if you look at the Buffalo Bills, that's a team with a lot of offensive line problems already, and uh, the only position where they haven't lost a lost a player really well they haven't had some kind of switcheroo necessary or whatever it's really a left tackle where Deion Dawkins has still been active um yeah I, I I'm uh I'm a little unsure about you know, the overall left tackle backup position around the NFL I don't know those players that well I, I do think you know most teams probably would be in worse position than the Ravens if they're on their fourth tackle um so I think you know we can take some solace in that um and it's it's hopefully you know this is kind of the end of that injury streak and we won't see any more players go down for the for the ravens but um i i think there's some upside for from what we saw in in this in this first game out of of Falele. um and I, I i'm not ready to say that he's you know ready to be an nfl starter but he's still very much in the development phase but there were some positives i think that could be taken away from his first you know real action yeah, let's talk about that then. Uh, finished the game at left tackle. Two sacks allowed in his first 10 plays. Dietrich Wise beat him on almost two identical plays to the outside. One of the things you really notice in watching Falele play is he does not use his hands well. And that comes in two ways. One is he really doesn't punch enough. He's a very passive, wait for the other player to make a move, try and phantom mirror instead of striking at the opponent to try and not give ground with the initial with the initial move. You have a chance of lunging, getting off balance, of course. He's a big guy. It probably is a bigger risk for him. But one of the biggest things he's got is his weight and his length to try and you know knock that defensive end or outside linebacker off his pins or at least you know retrack him such that he doesn't have that great a pass rush he can put on you uh I, I, that's my big frustration and so not striking and you know playing too much patty cake but the other thing is he's not an independent hand usage player and what i always compare that to or, or the analog is watch a bad pinball player they will always use the use the flippers at the same time to try and save the ball it's the worst thing you can do you know, jiggle the machine, hit, hit, make a judgment about which you think it's closer to, and then hit B A or A B, and then and you got a better chance to uh, save that ball. You, you strike with two at the same time, all kinds of opportunities for a single chop or an, another move to get rid of both your arms and the player really put you out of position. And I, I just, I, I, that's my biggest complaint right now with Falalele's play. And he's so new to the game that I think it probably is correctable. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be quick. But I think it probably is correctable over time. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you know there um, are developmental improvements that we can see from him. Um, I think a lot of it is technique. Um, there, there may be some things that it's just not going to be his his forte. But 
Um, I think what we saw in this game was he improved with his with his kind of um, drop step off, off the line of scrimmage and the depth that he was getting because that's that's really you know in addition to not getting the initial um, hand strike um, on on the defensive end. Um, he also didn't get enough depth in his, in his drop. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's something that can be taught and, and improved um, just to kind of get the timing and, and the pace down. Ideally, you know, with the feet also come the hands. And then if you can use those hands along with this, with your, with your feet as you're, as you're moving backwards. Um, so I think that's where that technique and just kind of the reps come into play and getting comfortable and doing that over and over and over again. He doesn't have the the reps that a lot of, you know, tackles you play at the NFL have. Um, and it's clearly not something that's come as quickly with him. Um, he's kind of gone by on sheer size. Um, right. and, and in the NFL, you, you really can't be afforded to do that. You need to also bring the technique. Um, I do think there's good things about him. For someone who's as large as he is, he, he bends well. He doesn't have a kind of like a lurching um waist bending type of situation that you see out of a lot of offensive tackles that are larger, especially. Um, so I think, you know, he, he's well proportioned and he is pretty natural and athletic in the way he moves. So I think there is, you know, potential for him to learn those things. It's just a matter of time of getting the teaching to actually sink in and, and becoming rote for him and something that he's used to and is ingrained in his ability to move, whether it's on the left side, probably on the right side. Hopefully he's not going to have to spend much time on the left side, but you know, that that's going to be something that he's going to have to just gain through repetition. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that entirely. You see, some of the patience we talk about in terms of not striking necessarily a defender, there's also a not finishing the defender that comes on. I I don't mind that as much in him. He's not accumulated pancakes, by the way. I think he has zero in this game, but I'm going to confirm that. Yeah, no pancakes in this game. But had four blocks in level two. What I liked about his ability to get hands on people in level two or even at the first level is he did a pretty good job of maintaining his feet as he blocked. So we see that out of at a wide receivers a lot where you need them over the course of 15 yards of running behind them where they need to maintain a block and almost do what a right guard does in terms of pivoting or twerking uh, the, the player that they're blocking. And in order to do so, they have to maintain their feet. They don't do it by pancake. They, they, they have to really use the Miles Boykin method, I'll call it for lack of a better word, to, to, to kind of turn their body, maintain their feet, use their size, their advantage. And Falele, a lot of people will see what, what he did on some of his great push blocks in the second level. He blocked somebody 10 yards, another guy 7 yards. And it, it was a smaller man in each case. The smaller man wanted no part of, like, there's ever been an equally sized man in the history of the NFL. <laughs> but the, uh, uh, the smaller man in, either, in both cases wanted no part of the block and was happy to not try and twist out of it because of the risk of getting flung to the ground violently. And it, it, to, to maintain that sort of a fear advantage is great. You don't need to finish the guy under those circumstances. And, you know, we love Ben Cleveland lying, laying into someone and flopping on top of him and doing that stuff. I don't need that out of follow later. First of all, we can't take the injury risk. And, and, and second of all, it's, if it's just taking a guy completely out of the play, that's all you can do as one blocker is take one guy out of the play. That's, that's, the, that's the win as an offensive lineman. Yeah, I, I think he has that natural you know, menacing size that's going to benefit him in, in those types of plays. Because like you said, especially linebackers or defensive backs, they're not going to want to be blocked by him because they're going to go flying if, if he gets hands on them. Um, so 
I think, you know, he has that advantage to him. And as long as he's will- willing and able to, like, have his keep his balance downfield and not get over himself and not grab anybody, I think that's the, that's the important thing. Because sometimes when you're a lot larger and there's faster people running around you, you have a tendency to reach out and grab. We didn't see that. So I think as long as he, you know, keeps his head and uh, just keeps it on, you know, his assignment and finding his, his target if it's a second-level defender and, you know, just getting in the way, frankly, because he's so big, that mm-hmm. can be, you know, a, a benefit to the to the offense. And especially um, if some of these runs are springing to the second level, he could be a big part of that. Yeah, and getting in the way is a great point. He doesn't even have to seal that player necessarily. If he's in the way, no defender wants any part of him. I mean, there's no linebackers looking to engage with him. There might be some defensive linemen who might try and, you know, stand him up or whatever, but there's, there's no there's no second or third level player that's interested in contact at all with him. So that's it, a that's a really good point. Advantage he has. I don't even think players of Orlando Brown's size uh, have necessarily always conveyed that. You know that that you know they. I, I guess he, he certainly carries his own level of fear with him. He's a good offensive tackle, but I, I I felt like there were players who would try and use their quickness against Orlando Brown. Maybe we'll see that against Fat Lily too. But, uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of opportunities for a big guy like that to get in the way. Uh, real quick through the scoring on him, he had one penetration, half a pressure, two sacks, which was minus 12 points on that. Ended with 23 points on 50 snaps for 0.46 per play. Uh, it's 0.51 after adjustment, so it's an F. Four blocks in level two, two out of two on pulls. I believe both of those were courtesy points on the back end of counters. Nope, one out of two on the back end of counters. So, see, if, if the way my system works, if, if he's on the back end of a counter, he doesn't actually have to make a block. He still gets credit for it because there's often not two players to block. Mm-hmm. And I just was tired of giving a bunch of zeros on the back <laughs> end of that. I didn't think it was reasonable, so I, so I changed the system. And, and uh, you know, the thing that I loved about it is in the second half, he missed only three blocks and had no negative plays. So, you know, he's been one of these guys that's been lauded for improvement could it even be possible that he's improving drive to drive and within the game? And you know what? I, I, I hearken back to preseason. I think about what happened then. And I thought that I, I did see some of that as well in the preseason where he was, at least from game to game, uh, not attempting to attack, uh, but is attempting this phantom mirror thing in the first game. In the second game, he's much better about trying to really uh, go after the lineman opposite him directly. And, and obviously, that had been a point of emphasis in the coaching. Yeah, and and in this game in particular, you know, I think it's pretty apparent that he had struggles early on. I mean, I think anybody who was watching the game saw that and how it impacted the Ravens' offense, how it impacted Lamar Jackson. Um, but I, from what I remember, I I believe that there was a comment made in between one of the drives that you know he was working on his pass set in in the, like the the sideline while they were um, waiting to get back on the field. And you know, some of the things that we saw early that were correctable like you know depth in his past set um that was not an issue in the second half and if that's something that was corrected and something that he can carry over into the next game if he's if he's asked to start um i think that's a a real positive and i'm not going to expect him to be you know a top end starter but if he can be an average player for them on on the end until stanley's ready to go um i I think I think it would be huge. Exactly. Um, and from what we saw in that, in the second half, I think that is, that is potentially within the range of outcomes. I, I, I think, I, you know, it's, he certainly, he could play another second half like he did, 
but I think what, what also helped that happen is they made adjustments to try and get other players making the first block. And it's almost like if this guy won't use his hands, then we'll stick a running back out there to make the first block. And we actually saw that. I think Dobbins had one block out of front of Fawele. <laughs> so, you know, we record all the sets and chips. And it was this was an L27 not under, which means uh, he uh, 27 blocked the left side. Not under means it was a chip block. And, and, and he hit him before Fa'alele had a chance to, but it did give Fa'alele that extra chance to kind of get in an ideal set and then, uh, and then be ready to absorb the impact after that. That does take eligible receivers to do. Resources mm-hmm. are getting used on that, and Fa'alele is the scoring beneficiary of it. So I just, it, is, it is something I, I'm, I'm careful about when I, when I try and put in his, in-game, his uh, full game adjustment to, to not overcredit him. Uh, for for what happened in a lot of those plays, but I thought Roman again back to back to him did a wonderful job of adjusting for him. L- let me ask you this, if I can: Are you satisfied with the outing in terms of the developmental implications? Um, I think so because it's one is getting him real reps. I think I think that's important um, for any for any player who's in his position who's not you know at the level where you really want to have him playing but if he's playing whether it's fourth quarter or mop-up duty you know th- that's one way of, of getting a player some some live action reps these were reps that actually mattered so that's a whole nother level of kind of development on the fly and right. it puts more pressure on him in order to perform but i think that also maybe is kind of one of those situations where you know you put you're putting the flame and, and you you kind of like you either come out stronger or, or you kind of melt and he came out stronger in my opinion in this game yeah, I mean, from half to half, there's no doubt about that. And I, I would agree with that comment, and that gets really to my second question is, do, do you see it as an opportunity? Obviously, this first live fire, the, the preseason doesn't count in a lot of ways, in, in part because of the context, the level of competition, facing real guys here. Dietrich Wise is a pretty good player. Um, you know, I, I, I just I thought that, you know, having a real opponent there across from him rather than somebody who's not going to be necessarily even on somebody's practice squad uh, the next week from, you know, from the third preseason game, is somebody you you uh, you're really happy getting snaps for? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in retrospect, it was definitely an opportunity to kind of see what he's capable of, um, and then moving forward, you know, if he's going to be continuing to be out there, um, you'll be able to really start to evaluate and, and see where he is. So that that's both an opportunity from the coaching staff to see you know how he's coming along. Um, how he's improving if he is improving how he there what areas still need to be focused on because you know he as a backup player you're probably not getting that level of attention in in practice and in week he's he's not the you know the the focus he's of of the offensive line he's trying to you are trying to develop him but you're giving more attention to to your starting five or maybe you know your sixth man as well but i think this is um really an opportunity for him to accelerate that process and if, if that's if that is in fact the case, I think it, it will hopefully, you know, come out for the better in the long term as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I think, you know, one of the things that we always talk about minor league players coming up to the major leagues and, you know, fail forward is a term that I hear used a lot. And the fact that Gunnar Henderson came to the major leagues with a month to go is a fail forward opportunity for him. And of course, he hasn't failed at all. He's, he's killing the ball, but uh, he's doing exactly what you'd hope a 21 year old might be. But but uh, in Falele's case, He's going to come out of this, and, and they're going to be able to send him into the offseason. And that conversation with Harbaugh at the end of the year is going to be at a totally different level about, hey, we think you've got the chops to play tackle in this league. Right tackle, left tackle, swing tackle, some tackle position. But you really ought to get some 
direct positional coaching during this offseason. And there are places where you can go to get that from tackles. They've got that uh, uh, LaCharles Bentley camp, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's uh, good for offensive linemen. I don't know if there's one specific for tackles or for tackle gurus. They won't be able to teach continuity with the rest of the line. That'll have to gain when he gets back to camp. Uh, but this shouldn't be just a strictly a workout offseason for him. It needs to be positional coaching because independent hand usage, probably the most important thing he needs to really accelerate his growth on. And, and I don't think he's going to be there by the end of the year, but but he could really take a big step in forward in year two with a, with a big offseason. Yeah, I mean... We don't know the, the future of, of like Morgan Moses, for instance. Is he going to be around next year? I think the contract leaves flexibility either way. He could come back, um, but they could also you know part ways with him if, if that's the way they want to go. And if they think that Falele is ready to be you know a starting right tackle in the league, I could definitely see that um, happening. Um, and, and at the very least, you know, he might be your future swing tackle. Um, and that could be someone that's also extremely valuable on, on, on the roster. And you can fill, fill in at both tackle spots if needed, um, come in, you know, play a six lineman role, all those fun things that you can do with, with someone with his, you know, his size and, and his ability to potentially, um, you know, win at the point of attack, especially. All right, well, great. Let's move on to Powers here. We spent a lot of time on Follow Lily. So an F in his first game, but definitely a difference half to half. Uh, Powers continues some solid play. Uh, you know, it was a tough assignment for him in a way, having Follow Lily next to him. There's obviously questions of stunt handoffs, which I didn't really think that the Patriots exploited too much in this game. But the other thing that Powers needs to do that I've, I've really noticed Cleveland is good at and Powers is not as good at is processing from center out so he can make a help block. Now, what I mean by that is as a pass play, he's initially probably going to be on a double team. He has to make sure Linderbaum's okay. If there's nobody directly on him, which means the three tech is on the other side and the five tech is on his side, then he needs to look next to see if there's a blitz, process very quickly, blitz, stunt, all the possible things. And and then he needs to get a help block on for Fa'alele as quickly as possible because Fa'alele was losing and losing quickly uh, some in that first half. And there were times when I thought... Uh, probably once when Powers really made a good help block in this game, but I, I think he needs to be a lot quicker doing that. And, and uh, Powers has not been playing terribly, and he didn't play poorly in this game either. Two and a half pressures, had none against the Dolphins. He was the only guy who graded in, in a, one of two guys I think who graded an A against the Dolphins. Made five of six pulls in this game, uh, made three blocks in level two. You know, the, a power run game suits Ben Powers pretty well. His, his pulling game is decent. Uh, he can make some straight-ahead progress when he needs to. He's good at, at working off a double team, whether that means taking the back end or moving to level two himself. Uh, C-plus overall in this game, the one thing I really want to see, I want to see better help blocking. Yeah, I think um, especially if if Falele is going to be the starter next week, I think that's something that will be hopefully um, driven home in, in this in the coaching um, because the, the Bills' defensive front is definitely one that is – one of the better in the league. Um, they have a lot of players that they can rotate. Um, you know, they, they, they might've had a few injuries in the past couple of weeks. So we'll see who's available as we get closer to, to game time. But um, when they're at their strongest, you know, they're, they're definitely going to be an issue and, and they will do some of those games and stunts up front. Um, and that's something that, you know, powers is going to have to be aware of. Um, and he's also going to have to be willing and able to identify when, when Falele needs help. And if he can help take away that inside, move that you know an edge like a von miller 
um, or some of the some of the other players like Gregory Russo um, that the Bills have, if, if he can take away that inside, um, that'll be a big help to to Falele and allow him to focus on on not getting beat um, quickly around the corner. So that that's definitely something I think will will benefit the, the O line if Powers can kind of expand um, and be a little quicker in processing potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, right now I haven't heard any talk about Cleveland, you know, taking Powers' job, and I don't think we should have. Uh, over the last two weeks, Powers has played certainly well enough that he he he's earned the right to fail again before he loses it. Uh, didn't have a great week one, I didn't think, but uh, but since then he's played very well. Uh, Cleveland uh, was the best lineman during the preseason, and I've got to wonder what the Ravens' plans are at tackle going forward and who the next guy up is. Now, David Sharp looks like he would be the next guy up at left tackle. What do you do if Morgan Moses was lost? Uh, I mean, you know, you might go to Sharp at left tackle and Falele at right tackle. Maybe that's the answer just that quickly. But I think I think at some point it's got to be probably back on the table that Ben Cleveland becomes a, a guy you consider tackle. Maybe they go to Ben Powers and they move put Cleveland at left at left guard again. So I, I really don't know what they do, but it wouldn't it wouldn't be anything we'd want to see. Yeah, that, that's definitely a scary proposition, and it was something that I was a little worried about in the New England game because there was a couple of plays where Moses, um, you know, got up a little bit slow, a little bit a little bit gimpy. Uh, I think one of them was right before the two-minute warning at the end of the first half. So thankfully, he had that, you know, a little bit of a break to kind of get stretched out, um, get get his bearings underneath of him. But if if he were to go down, you know, as well as having Makari potentially, you know, out, um, that would be a problematic place for the Ravens. And I, I think probably Sharp would just come in and play tackle for you, whether you know he plays right tackle and or you have uh, Falele move over to right tackle. That that might be more likely. Um, but either way, that's putting you in a position you definitely don't want to be in. So, um, and it gets back to what I said earlier about Ronnie Stanley. You know, having him back will, will fix a lot of these issues with the depth because right now um, there is a serious um, lack at that position for the Ravens. Yeah, he is he is the biggest domino in the room, that's for sure, in terms of fixing the offensive line and doing it. I will say one of the other issues uh, got fixed this week. Linderbaum had just played pretty average ball the first two weeks. I know people were really excited about what he's done. Uh, that's not the way I scored it. You know, a, a, a low C grade the first two weeks, uh, but but not terrible, but just frequently off balance. Didn't make good run blocks in short yardage. Uh, multiple, you know, lesser issues. Sarah Ellison was on the show last week. She asked me how much of that is really correctable. We might have gotten our answer this week because... He, I thought, he fought very hard, which tells me it's it may never look easy for him, you know, given who he is size-wise. But he may be like a McCary scrapper type player where, you know, he has to make do. He has to always be continually thinking about adjustments and tricks he can make to, to, to play easily. To me, that was never the case with Yanda, even though he had short arms, was, was he was able to make it look very easy over time. So maybe Linderbaum can get there. But did a much better job of maintaining his balance in this game. Uh, he did it with effort, but but he's not constantly off on one foot because somebody uses his arm on him. Uh, he had no negative events in this game, which means he didn't have a penetration for, for a loss on a run play, any sort of a pressure event, um, or a penalty. And that's those kind of games are rare. Um, but but when they happen, and it's a rookie, and it's a player you really need to play well, it's just it's very exciting when that happens. Uh, we saw some other positive things. His mobility was back, uh, had a little more power as well. Four blocks in level two with the, with the mobility end. I thought he was doing a pretty good job on, on double teams 
on moving up. And that's something we definitely need to see out of him is, is the ability to resolve those double teams quickly at the line of scrimmage. Anyway, high A for Linderbaum in this game. I know PFF even didn't score him as well as that, but uh, but terrific game from Linderbaum. And, and it's it's hopefully the first of many great games. Yeah, I think, you know, he obviously has that pedigree. Um, extremely well-regarded, graded player in college. Um, always the size thing was, was, was what was considered his... You know, his detriment, um, being a little undersized. Um, there are historically, you know, centers who have played extremely well in this league who have been undersized, you know, around 300 or even less. Um, Jason Kelsey, for instance, comes because it comes immediately to mind. Um, someone who is ex- on the lighter side, but extremely athletic, a mobile, um, ability to, to pull, to, ability to get out in front, to make those second level blocks. Um, I, I think that's where Linderbaum is going to succeed as well. Um, you know, I, I think having that ability to, like you said, navigate the, the double time, the double team, um, move to the second level and get on a player, um, that allows for some of those bigger runs that we saw in this game, whether it's Justice Hill, um, or Lamar Jackson, having that, you know, body out front to pick up that, that second level defender, um, is what allows for the big plays. And that has to happen um, for, the, for the Ravens to be where they want to be with their run game. So having you know that type of um, athleticism on the line is something that is a step above where they've been in, in years past. And I think hopefully this game is just a springboard for the, for the rest of the season, the rest of his career, being able to be that kind of difference maker. Right. I, I, I agree. And, and it's... Uh... Uh, it's going to be always, I think, a game of adjustments for him, but uh, but it just it can't be anything but very encouraged from this from this last game. I, 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 there's other linemen in history. Not all have worked out, of course. Some have, some really haven't. But you know, it was a big deal when Ronnie Stanley had a first game, it had his big first game. It was a a really big deal when Jared Gaither had his first really great game against Mario Williams. I remember writing about that at the time and just being you know so impressed with what he'd done. And Mario Williams was lighting up the league when they went down to Houston in 2008 to play that game and. Uh, and he looked great doing it. So it doesn't always work out, um, but but there's certainly there's a lot to like, and and the the pedigree is certainly there. I think he will do well. He he will do better even playing with another player to his left. And he's got Zeitler on his right right now. And that won't necessarily always be true. They'll have a good player there, but um, if he could if he get a big man in particular on his left, I think it would help a lot with the um, fast resolution of double teams in the power game yeah um and he might never be the most dominant point of attack player <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um at, at the position and, and that's okay i think as long as he's smart and how he uses leverage um and you you can make up for that a little bit with quick footness like speed and and, and getting you know your feet set um, and being active with your hands, um, and even if you don't have the longest arms, you know there's there's ways you can compensate for being undersized, and that that's you know how you have to do that. And he's going to have to just make those adjustments as he goes up against bigger and more talented defensive linemen. Yeah. All right, Kevin Zeitler, a uh, little bit of a step back from the first two weeks. Uh, more problems than usual as a pass blocker. Three and a half pressures allowed. Uh, we mentioned earlier they asked him to pull 14 times. That's the most he's done as a Raven, I believe. I have to go back and check that, but 14 times is up there with Bozeman's highest totals. Bozeman probably had three or four games that were up in that range. Maybe, maybe yeah, three or four games, I would say. Uh, I, I don't can't ever remember the Ravens pulling from right to left as, as often as he did in this game. Nine points on those. So 
what he really did is um, one pole was on a pressure where he, he changed sides. And they do that a fair amount. Uh, usually, he used to do it a lot with six offensive linemen, or if they ran an unbalanced offensive line, they would pull one player from, uh, from the three-man side to the one-man side. You know, as as part of the passing scheme, but in, in this case, uh, you know, he, he made he got nine points, but he got a minus two on one play, which effectively costs him three. So, uh, I, I, you know, we're not concerned about him, but he has a C game, and that's lower than we're used to uh, from Zeitler. He, he, he last year he had a long string of fine games in a row, but there, you know, there is some week to week variability in in terms of uh, pass rush, uh, sorry, uh, pass blocking effectiveness. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, he's a solid veteran to me. Like he, he's going to go out and, and put in his work, um, and be generally quite reliable. Um, he, he's not the Marshall Yanda at this stage of his career, um, but he's still, I think, an above-average player who's not going to, you know, get beat very regularly. Every once in a while, it'll happen. But um, I think he's definitely, you know, a solid part of this offensive line and, and really a key cog um, for everything they're trying to do. And if, and if they keep continuing to do this, you know, pulling from the right to left, um, he's going to have to, you know, adjust to that. And he, as someone who's been around for a long time, I think he, he's someone who can make those adjustments and, and be willing to take on a different type of role in the offense as, as personnel and, and what other players are available dictates. All right, Morgan Moses on the on the right side. The biggest thing about his game is his score was uh, reduced by the fact that he had the first two penalties of the year for the offensive line yeah. at both fall starts, uh, but did really have an effective game as a pass blocker, as a blocker with only one pressure allowed. That's anytime a tackle gets through an NFL game with only one pressure allowed, that's really good, particularly in my system which, where I'm using a three second standard. Um, you know, that, that just you get a lot more pressures. Moses has been good about getting guys to the back uh, pylon the way that. Rick Wagner was at one time for this team, uh, the way that other people like Orlando Brown have used their length well uh, to get people to the back pylon. So uh, happy about that. He made four blocks in level two, had two pancakes, three out of three on pulls. Two of those were, were uh, as a trailer, getting a courtesy courtesy point there. But he also led the team with two nice highlight blocks. Uh, so just a, just an overall good game. Right now, I you know the Moses signing and the Marcus Williams signing are both looking like manna from heaven for the Ravens. Yeah, I, I mean, I was a big fan of the signing when it happened. Um, he's, you know, similar to Zeitler, I would say, like someone who's been around the league a long time. Um, maybe not quite the high level of player that Zeitler was at one point, but someone who has been, you know, asked to, you know, play at high level for several different teams, maybe two different teams. Um, but he's been consistent and. Um, I'm surprised that the, he was available for the price that the Ravens got him. I think it was a, it was a bargain, um, and you know he's been exactly what they wanted. I think a reliable pass protector. Um, his run blocking is is okay. I think this is probably his best run blocking game as a Raven so far. I think he missed a few blocks uh, last week, but you know you know maybe this kind of role as being someone who's being asked to pull a little bit more um, that could suit him well. I mean, he's, he's not the most athletic kind of nimble person, but I think he does, he's still a big body. And if, if you get him moving, he might be able to, to, to pave some, uh, some space for you. And, and at least, you know, similar to Fale, like get out in front and, and make some room for, for the running back or for Lamar or whoever is, is coming behind. 
Right. What I, I think he probably is going to suffer from being on the backside of run plays a hmm. little more. So it's that's always a place where offensive tackles have a tough time registering valuable blocks. Ronnie Stanley could do it because he had the quickness to get out front and would go for a level three guy if that's all he could get. Other players do it because it's all they can do is a cut block, and and they you know cut blocks particularly when you're when you're you know diving into them uh, at a distance as opposed to being right next to the guy's thighs have a have a uh, lower percentage of uh, connection. Uh, you see that with running backs in particular, that, that, that linemen know how to kind of step through them and avoid them. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, do, were you at all surprised that he was not the one to move to left tackle during the game? Um, not really, mostly because he hasn't been used out there at all um, mm-hmm. since the Ravens got him. They, they put Juwan James as the left tackle um, when he was filling in for Ronnie Stanley. It really wasn't an option for Moses to be put there. So that didn't surprise me, and especially in-game, I think you like to keep the player in the same position as much as possible. Um, with Falele, he's going to probably have similar issues, whether it's the left or the right side, um, just from his lack of experience. So may as well keep Moses where he's comfortable, where he's played most of his career, and you know, put the one new player in, in the one new position and hope that it, it can work out for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, that takes us through the offensive line. Let's talk other skill position players. Uh, you're the guest. Name one and uh, give me your thoughts. Um, I'll talk about Justice Hill really quickly because, you know, he's been someone that I think had some higher expectations in, in the Ravens offense uh, when he was drafted. Um, explosive player in college, really racked up some big yards um, when he came out of Oklahoma State. Um, I think there was some expectations that he would, you know, be a really kind of good third down option for this Ravens offense. And it never really panned out. Um, obviously, last year he got hurt. Achilles came back this year, looked like he changed his body a little bit, um, a little bit bulkier. But he still, when he was on the field in this game, at least, he looked explosive. Um, mm-hmm. And he looked like he's able to pick up chunks of yardage. Um, and if the blocking is there, he is a really nice option i think moving forward as as it's going to be a change of pace probably um for for jk dobbins and hopefully eventually gus edwards when he gets in there but i think he will have a significant role carved out for him um, throughout the entire season yeah i think it's possible and and he had a he had a really great pass blocking game against miami and then he had a good running game against new england where he really fell apart as a pass blocker yeah. missed a bunch of cut blocks that did not look good um, anyway, it, it, it's a game. It's a it's a small sample size. That's that's the thing we're gonna we're gonna lean on in terms of that game. And I just I think he's too important in terms of what he brings to the outside in terms of the speed to really mark him down too seriously for the pass block. And in addition, I think they need to figure out who's their third down guy. And if, if Dobbins is the guy, um, well, fine. But if Dobbins needs less of a workload, you really want him more in first and second down, and he's actually going to run the ball, then Hill makes a lot of sense for third down, and, and uh, Hill can do some some good things for you too. And maybe it's just a change of pace back. But I, personally, in terms of stylistic fill, Justice Hill fit Justice Hill is so important to the Ravens after basically just these last two games. Uh, wouldn't want to wouldn't want to reduce his snap count at all. He actually outsnapped J.K. Dobbins in this game. Yeah, he, he outsnapped uh, Dobbins in this game, and last last week as well, he was the number one um, running back in terms of snaps. So it seems like he's definitely going to be out there um, a good bit. Um, I think you know pass protection at least last week was where he really shined. This week, not so much, like you mentioned, but um, 
they want to have somebody out there who can do that. Um, and you know, it hasn't necessarily been Dobbin's strength um, when he when he was a rookie. I think that was an area where he kind of suffered a little bit. Um, so you know, hopefully this was just kind of an outlier for Hill, and he's he's going to be better in that. Um, I know that's something that Edwards has done a lot of in the past. So if he comes back and is is you know back at part of the running back rotation, maybe he'll be that third down block back, mostly just for his you know his pass blocking ability. Um, but, you know, I think dating back to 2020, he also, Edwards also kind of did some things in the in the passing game um, where he was able to catch the ball out of the backfield, make some plays down the field. Um, and I, I think, you know, just having all, all three of them available, um, it's, it's going to give you options, um, whether that's something sometimes you have one guy in certain personal packages and another guy in different ones. We've seen some two running backs on the field at the same time. We might see some of that again. So I think you know, having you know more opportunities is going to be good for all of them. Yeah. So I mean, they haven't made their their choice yet. Other than I think the Davis of Davis and Drake um, will be otherwise. Um, you know, he's those guys. Uh, I think if they've had their chance, they're the two worst statistically backs in the entire league in terms of the Devoa stats based on their individual number of carries. So in their carry group, they were both the worst in terms of uh, yards below the replacement level. Uh, it, it, it's kind of sad, but you know, also kind of un- not unexpected that you know, they, they've gone to four elder statesmen back over two years and it just hasn't worked out. Yeah, really expensive insurance plans that didn't pay, pan out. Yeah. Um, so they're they're both you know going to be about what a million dollars against the cap. And even if when they are released, I'm sure one of them probably will be at, at one point. You might keep, you know, maybe, maybe Davis is the player you keep. He's had more time in the system. He fits the profile of, of being a short yardage back. If you, if you want that kind of player on the roster, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if both Drake and Davis are let go at some point if if the roster flexibility is required. Right. And I, I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, you know, the, the, it, it really does come down to roster flexibility because they want they probably want to keep one of them as a reserve because they don't want to pay a different guy when they've already paid one and with their current lack of flexibility and cap dollars. They're right now they're at the they're at such a point of bankruptcy in terms of cap dollars relative with all these injuries. I mean, they, they don't have money spent. They have to think about, like, can we reduce the roster size for this week by a player to save that kind of money, which might be. You know, some relatively small amount of money, like fifty thousand dollars, against the cap that they saved for doing so. But uh, you know, if if that's the alternative that makes sense, they're going they're going to have to do some of that. And with Davis and Drake, they're committed to their entire year's salary, so it's not like a veteran that would they would pick up mid season that they have a chance to then uh, only pay them on a week to week basis. Yeah, um, I mean, they always have Tyler Beatty on the practice squad. You, they could potentially mm-hmm. call up for a couple of times if if needed to have an additional body, um, but. Yeah, it is is a unhealthy predicament to be in for sure, and and hopefully that's something that um, they can learn from, you know, in, in the future, and, and not have um, necessarily these last minute additions. So to speak. like like the Drake signing, I thought was a little strange. That the timing of it, um, the the way it went down, to something somebody you thought could potentially maybe be picked up a week later, so you don't have that that vested veteran status going into the season with. Um, so that was maybe um, a gamble that did not pan out for this team. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there, it just, it, 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 it just every injury. Now I find myself 
considering the financial consequences of it because of where the Ravens are right now. And, you know, any any move they make basically at the at the cheapest, you know, they, they pick up a rookie off somebody else's practice squad. They're paying him for um, I think they, they they can pay him week to week, but but it's still seven hundred thousand dollars. And if they have to pay him for the whole season. Uh, you know, that obviously is significant in terms of what the remaining cap dollars are. There's no room for any additional cap. The, 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 you know, a big guy to be brought in. J, JPP is not a big guy. Uh, you know, he's a, a, a vet men guy with a bunch of NLTBE bonuses that'll probably all be earned. And it's basically just a big sacrifice of 2023 cap. It, it, frankly, if the Ravens knew that they weren't going to be any good, it wouldn't be worth it at all. It is a kind of signing you just avoid like the plague in terms of, of um, debilitating your cap for next year. But, uh, you know, the Ravens are obviously considered themselves a contender. I think rightfully so at this exact moment. And uh, and they've gone and got him. No, I was just going to say, I, th- I think there's a move they have to make um, because it's it's really, you don't, you don't know when players are going to get hurt. Um, the, the roster was already so thin at the position. Um, we saw Justin Houston go down and, and affected the team pretty significantly in, in this past mm-hmm. week. Um, I don't know how long he's going to be out for if he misses next week or maybe a couple weeks. Um, having, you know, somebody who at least has a bit of a pedigree that has, you know, championship experience, I think um, some some still ability to get after the passers is going to be important for, for the Ravens um, because they really desperately need to have at least some bodies that can and threaten you know an opposing offensive co- coordinator um, and make and not just have a, a body that's out there just to take up space yeah yeah i i, well, I completely agree uh let's go to another player here i'm gonna go to rashad bateman i think we talked about him a little bit earlier i am frustrated that there's there's a seem to be a lot of turnovers on the balls that are thrown to him two out of three in this game um did make a very nice play in terms of yak. Uh, just needs to be more reliable with the football, both in terms of initially securing it and then holding on to it as he as he goes down the field. I mean, obviously, you, you don't want to see the, the the turnovers. I think the fumble was definitely a play he could have secured. Um, the interception, I don't think, was on him at all. That was just a, a probably a poor decision. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that, that can happen. I think it was also a, a nice read by the defender to come off um, his route and cut underneath the throw there. So, um, you know, those, those plays will happen every once in a while. I, th- I think Bateman is a really impressive route runner from what I've seen. You know, watching the All-22, he consistently kind of gets open at the line of scrimmage. Um, and there were a few um, plays in this game where he was open. You know, there was a one deep throw. It was probably like a 30 yards downfield that Lamar just missed him on and he was open, you know, he had a step yeah. on the defender. If that ball is, you know, just like six inches shorter, it's a touchdown probably. Um, I think there was a couple other plays um, that I saw from like the, the all 22 kind of perspective where, you know, he did win at the line of scrimmage. He, he would have been open for a big play if Lamar looked his way. So I think he's someone that can continue to be a, an important facet of the offense moving forward. Um, you know, not your number one target, guy that's going to be mark andrews of course but i think he will continue to put up significant yards in the in this offense and he's and he's definitely the type of all-around receiver that the ravens have really been looking for for quite a while yeah yeah 
I, I can't complain, honestly, about what he's brought the Ravens in terms of big playability. Obviously, that's there, and we're seeing it. And, and you're right, I kind of did forget about that throw down the right sideline. It was, it was a little bit long, but it, it, it met the artillery shield definition of a, you know, a long, needed arm strength to throw it, almost on target throw from Lamar. So uh, that's another good counterexample to the uh, uh, elbow wrap uh, fear. Yeah, it was it was a good throw. I mean, it it was inches away from being a, a big completion. Um, he had another one to Andrews as a, as a kind of a deep crosser. I'm, I, don't, I don't know if you wanted to. Maybe we could talk about Andrews now if if, if you want to. Um, he had, you know, I thought another exceptional game. Obviously, the, the the first touchdown he didn't really have to do much. Just kind of walk into the end zone situation. Um, the second touchdown he. Totally just, I mean, you call it what mossing the defender when you kind of go over his back and, and pick it up off of him, almost a helmet catch type situation. <laughs> um, it, but I wasn't quite sure at first if he had gotten his body in bounds, but of course he did. Mark Andrews always comes down in bounds somehow. Um, it just, you know, he had a phenomenal one handed grab on a, on a nice, uh, I think it was a rollout that Lamar hit him on. Um, just, Overall, a, 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 another excellent game for Mark Andrews. I think he has really taken his game to the next levels last year, continued to do that this year. Um, maybe there was one play in here where he dropped it. It wasn't a perfectly thrown ball. He could, probably could have come down with it. Um, but all in all, he's you know consistently finding ways to get open, finding ways to kind of be the engine of the offense, You know, aside from Amar Jackson, of course. But he's he's that player that kind of really keeps things going and, and really keeps the chains moving on a consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously been very important in that. And they do go to him in some short yardage situations, which kind of reduces some of the yards per target numbers for him. But um, 13 for 89, did we talk about this already? Uh, 13, no. 13 targets for 89 yards. So that's a little bit low. It's under seven yards of target. It's not what the Ravens want out of Mark Andrews. They want big plays. They want the close to 10 yards of play would be ideal. But the problem with that ever occurring again for Mark is that he's become Lamar's bailout guy. So he he gets a lot of decreased marginal value targets from Lamar because when Lamar's in trouble, he says, is Mark Andrews single covered? And he throws it out because he knows Mark Andrews won't betray him uh, in terms of giving no effort on the interception or you know he'll, he'll, he'll try and make a tough catch. Michael Crabtree, when he's, his last years with Derek Carr, had that same kind of relationship. They had, he had a ton of contested catches in his last year, and he, it was because he was Carr's bailout guy. And um, I, I've, I've been asking the interns at PFF if they can think of a way to define that. Is there a way you could define it to, to decide what a marginal target is? Because obviously target levels are different for all receivers, right? And then you have to decide, well, how do you know who the guy is who gets the highest percentage of crap targets because they're on the margin there? And then you you adjust his performance to look at that. Only way, I'd, I'd like a, to formulate some sort of study for doing that. Um, but it's I, I think it's a phenomenon that you can fairly you can fairly clearly estimate is is occurring i just i just don't know how to quantify it completely yeah i, th- I think there were at least two kind of downfield throws in this game where tar- andrews was the target they mm-hmm. were i don't think they were catchable um so you know I, i'm not going to put that on andrews as not being able to like make a play on it um and he probably wasn't even very open maybe he had a bit of a step it would probably have to be a perfectly thrown ball to kind of to fit it into him um and there were two i think the other plays that were 
more of like scramble type plays where you know they were probably catchable but not thrown super accurately behind perhaps um so th- those are definitely what i think would fit into that category of, of marginal type throws um but you know and, and maybe that's just part of you know that kind of repertoire that or you know that the rapport that he and and Lamar have together that he is willing to come back and make himself available, make himself as a target. Um, even, even if he isn't, you know, truly open, um, just to be someone who there, at least there's a percentage chance of, of coming down with with the ball in a situation. And, and sometimes, you know, that's, that's worth taking that that opportunity. Yeah. All right. Uh, maybe we talk about Devin Duvernay really quickly and then we'll call it, uh, Duvernay obviously doing great things as a kick returner, but, uh, his his streak now as a receiver, I, I hate to jinx it, but I think he's caught all eight targets this year. Um, eight, I mean, eight for eight for one twenty one. Huh? that's that's so good. That's good efficiency. Fifteen point one yards per target. It's also his yards per reception, obviously in this case. But uh, uh, it won't hold up. But that is absolutely remarkable. You don't need any more catches per game uh, if you can do that. I mean, hey, we can all want to be greedy in somewhere, but if but if Devin Duvernay can give you forty yards. Per game at 15.1 yards per target, you're going to be very thrilled with that for a full season. Yeah, especially if he can continue to be, you know, a weapon in the red zone because we, we've seen a couple of nice um, throws to him um, from Lamar. Um, two of them were kind of like fade type, you know, like corner throws, um, back pylon type throws. And Duvernay has really shown that ability to come down with the ball, um, strong hands through contact, um, being able to get his feet in bounds. Um, those aren't easy catches by any stretch. And, mm-hmm. and Lamar is definitely showing that he has some trust in Duvernay. And that's, that's really good to see. Um, also a big third down conversion from Duvernay in this game. Um, just a, a nice, you know, in breaking route, um, made himself available and, you know, Lamar put it on the money. So um, he's definitely, you know, a, a threat out there he's not just another guy running a route like you feel like he was you know in the past two years so that's nice to see him take his level his game to the next level and, and Lamar to have that faith in him and the, and the return ability too he had one really electric return in this game and that's something that he's always going to to bring to the table so having that dynamic you know special teams of return ability in addition to the ability to be you know a reliable wide, wide receiver too in this offense is is really really nice combination to have yeah, uh, it's it, it, he's he's done more than I could have expected. I, I, I can't even give you a framework for what my expectations would be going forward because he's exceeded them by so much. So yeah. sometimes I'm just in a, in a position where I'm just enjoying the ride from a player. And I, I'm saying, you know, well, he's all done all this. Well, what, what could he do? Uh, you know, Kamar Aiken, I kind of felt that way mm-hmm. about him. Kind of, you know, an average kind of guy. And then all of a sudden he's Kadri Ishmael when he first came to the Ravens. Uh, you know, not not a guy that I expected to be a you know a huge target and catch guy, but he ended up being the most important receiver on the Ravens there for several years. So uh, a- anyway, I, I want to do one mailbag question while we're here. Um, it's from Adams G, who says, "Hey Ken, I'm struggling to find what Boyle's reason is for being on the active roster. Wouldn't it be better to allocate that active roster spot for depth at other positions of need?" And I believe he said particularly on the on the offensive or defensive line. Um, agree completely. I think we hit on some of this early, but um, really really not an option to put him on the offensive line because you don't gain a spot from that. There's an eight offensive linemen. That's often too many anyway, but the NFL rules require that for you to activate a full 48. But in terms of the um, 
uh, having the defensive lineman. We kind of addressed that earlier, and, and it, it would have alleviated the outside linebacker problem a little bit, I think, in this game. Yeah, it, it really was a head-scratcher um, why you would activate four tight ends, um, especially then and not play one of them. Um, I, I don't know if there's you know maybe an alternative game script that they thought they might go down at, at some point. Um, maybe they thought they're going to be you know doing a lot more heavy package running the ball. Um, it obviously that that didn't pan out that way. They did run the ball a decent amount, but it wasn't like uh, just complete like ground and bound type game. So uh, it's really kind of a question as to why they activated Boyle to not play him. Um, and I, I agree, it, it could have you know better used that position on on a Chris Worley on a on a Brent Urban, so, you know somebody to give you some some depth at defensive line. Um, I'm not sure when the practice squad call-ups have to happen, but I think, you know, Jamario Moon or or Jeremiah Moon, uh, he could have been called up and have an extra body at outside linebacker. You know, know, somebody else who could actually help out at a position where you don't have the same depth. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. I'm hoping that it's not something due to, you know, his injury level. They thought he was ready to go and he wasn't. because it really makes me question whether or not we'll, we'll ever actually see him play again, which would be unfortunate. Right. We did end up signing another outside linebacker today to the practice squad, so that'll be interesting to see if he gets call-ups. Uh, but always a pleasure to talk football with you. Just I, I appreciate you taking this much time out of your busy day, and uh, uh, you know, you're welcome whenever you want to be on for any for any kind of topic, Gabe. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, again, you know, I, I always love coming on the show. It's 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 a fun conversation. Um, this this was a good game to talk about the offense. Um, hopefully, you know, we'll have there'll be a lot of more fun offensive podcasts in the future, and hopefully, you know, the, the defense will also continue to be exciting um, and <laughs> lots of turnovers there. Um, um, you know, I mentioned my Twitter handle Twitter handle earlier um, at Gabe Fergie. Um, I'm pretty active on, on Twitter. Um, talking about the Ravens, talking about NFL, other you know sports-related things. So, um, you know, look me up, uh, give me a follow, I'll follow you back, um, have a conversation with me about something that you find interesting, have a question, maybe we can we can you know figure out something together. Um, but um, yeah, and we mentioned uh, podcast situation room on on. Film Study Baltimore website that's hosted here. So um, I'd love if you give that a listen as well. I, I hosted with um, my friend Jordan Coe, both, both been Ravens fans. We've talked together about the Ravens for a very long time. So um, it's, it's I think that's a, it's a fun podcast where, you know, we try to break down the, the kind of the fun aspects that we, we see in, in each game and some of the important things that happen from a schematic perspective, personnel, um, some of the choices that are made by coaches and, and break it down from that perspective. So um Hopefully you'll give that a listen as well. Uh, outstanding. I, I, I really would recommend a follow for both of them. So that's at Gabe Fergie and at Ravens Sit Room, both. Uh, great follows, very active. They'll, they'll talk to you on Twitter. And uh, you know, my, my, frankly, my schedule during the season is, is very tight in terms of producing content. And I don't do a very good job of uh, responding in a timely fashion. But I know Gabe is, is out there pretty much talking all day. And I'm seeing a lot of roll by on my screen while I'm writing or or uh, working in other ways, getting ready to, to, to do shows. So uh, definitely worth a follow. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. Nice short topic, 25 minutes or so. 
Uh, I'm going to ask people, especially if you've, you've listened this long, you probably already subscribed to the pod. But if you don't, maybe this is something I should put at the beginning the next time around. Hit that subscribe button and, and make sure you get it on a regular basis. That's a, that's a big help. If you want to write a review, that's a big help too. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, Gabe, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Um, and hopefully um, we'll have a fun talk the next time I'm on the show. All right. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.